I love hearing the, uh, the buzz going around in the, in the building at the moment. I hope you've um, been able to maybe meet someone you've uh, never met before, maybe heard some good news from someone, um, which is all fantastic. My name's Sean. I'm, I'm part of the leadership team here at CityGate Church. And you know what? I've, I've been in this church for 22 years. Can you believe that? Now, another thing happened a couple of months ago. I turned 40. I'll be honest with you, I had a bit of a wobble. I don't want to be flippant because I know that a midlife crisis is a real big deal and I know a lot of people have really gone through the mill on that, but it really took me um, by surprise. Um, I have an amazing life. I have a beautiful wife and four awesome children. <laughs> yeah, you see? I have, a, I have a fantastic job with a real sense of God's purpose in my life. I'm part of this amazing church community and people have sown into my life, into the life of my family. Hopefully I've sown into your life as well. But thoughts just came flooding in that just put a negative spin on all of that kind of stuff. And if I was to kind of try and give a theme of what those negative thoughts were all about, it would be something like this. My best years are behind me. I didn't do enough, and it's all downhill from here. <laughs> now, because I'm part of this amazing church community, there's lots of people that have kind of gone through those 40s and were able just to talk to me and just help align the truth uh, for me. Um, but isn't it weird that given all the objective facts, I really struggled to acknowledge and connect with the reality. And instead, I found it actually more comfortable engaging with unreality in my life. As I said, I've had some great people just help me talk and talk to me about the truth of Jesus, what he has said, his ways, and his identity over me. Now, in a moment of panic, I possibly bought a dog. Um, so I suppose just, just a warning as you're kind of nearing your 40s, something like that might happen as well. But why is it that we find ourselves caught in cycles of irrational fear and anxiety? Why is it that we do things we know are going to lead to ourselves and others getting hurt and even worse, destroying us altogether? Why is it that regardless of the statistics that say, that show the correlation between social media use and mental health disorders like depression, um, and, and all, all other things around that, do we still, are we still unable just to turn it off? Why is it that given all the technology and the science and all the knowledge we have, we still have global systems of evil, like systemic racism and the like? There is something else going on. There seems to be an animating kind of force behind it all, dividing humanity against itself. There is a war raging. But it's a war that we don't necessarily envision, or one based on our experiences, I suppose, like what we see in Russia and Ukraine at the moment, with tangible military weapons. No, it's something else going on. And it's not even just psychological, it's spiritual. And the worst thing is that most people, even us Christians, are oblivious to that war. 
We are um, a good way through the series that we're in, which is called our stewardship series. The main premise of the series is that God created everything and he's in charge of everything, but that he has kindly bestowed on us the privilege and honor of looking after everything the way that he would. So whether that's looking after our beautiful planet, caring for it, leveraging the good in it sustainably for everything that's being created for his glory, whether it's stewarding our time, our talents, our treasure, our work, our relationships, our bodies, and even today we can talking about our minds. Our minds are the most powerful thing on this planet. Through the minds of human beings over millennia, we have witnessed the bringing into being of great beauty and utility that has created whole civilizations. But at the same time, similar minds have implemented the most evil atrocities. Neuroscientists, philosophers, psychologists, even theologians have thrown time and attention into understanding how the genius of the mind really works. And we've got 25 minutes. So, God, I just pray right now in this place. Firstly, Jesus, I thank you for what you've already done this morning, just plowing the ground already for your word to sit. I pray that we come into contact with your truth this morning. You'd reveal your truth in loving relationship which we have with you in spirit and truth, and I pray for transformation today. I wanna read from Philippians 4, verse four to nine, it'll come up on the screen, but if you've got a device or your Bible, open up, let's read together. It says, rejoice in the Lord always, and I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, Present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Jesus Christ. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And whatever you've learned or received or heard from me, or seen in me, put into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. At first glance, you could be forgiven for perceiving that this sounds a bit like positive thinking therapy. Just bury your feelings, think positive thoughts, and you're gonna be happy. But actually, there's a lot more going on here. There's a lot more that we need to understand of what's really at play when it comes to our thoughts, based on an understanding of what Jesus says. There are a couple of just important phrases um, in this passage which we need to take note of. One of them is, guard your hearts and your minds. From what? From myself? Is there someone else against me? This sounds like battle imagery. Another is the emphasis on pl- placed on seeking reality. And this is seen in, in the passage where it says things like, whatever is true, whatever is right, whatever is pure. So this passage is accepting that there is real truth to be found, but not just to be found, but to be given attention to all the time. I'm no neuroscientist, and I don't have credentials when it comes to philosophy or psychology, but I feel it's necessary for us just to explore a few of those basic levels 
um, in those categories just to better understand how the mind works. And then I wanna go into what Jesus says about it all. And I'm in faith that he's gonna do something powerful in this room today to transform our lives, to break down some strongholds where we've been captive. So let's start with some science. Until a couple of years ago, well, until a couple of decades ago, it was believed that your brain could not change after childhood. But now we know that all of our behaviors change our brain. It's often called neuroplasticity. The way you interact with your thoughts becomes physical reality in your brain. It occupies mental real estate. Now, the reality is that not just one thought or action doesn't lead to a structural change in your brain. That's really good news, or else every bad thought you have would just turn into a habit straight away. But the bad news is then, I have found that it takes ages to learn a new skill um, or something to become muscle memory. I'm sure you've found it as well. I often try to learn a new technique on the guitar by trying to learn like a complex song. And in the first sitting, I make a bit of progress, but because I only come back to that, that kind of technique again like a week later, I found that I've just lost loads of ground and I've got to like start again to kind of just get to where I was before in order to then progress a bit further. And it turns out what's really happening in that moment is in that first instance is just that there are chemical signals in my brain which are firing between cells which just help with short-term memory. So it helps just in that moment to not just completely forget what I've just done to help me there, but actually it takes 20 to 30 hours to learn a new skill and 10,000 hours to master it. This is where repeated processes start to bring about structural changes as the brain region becomes more and more excitable and easy to use again. And as the brain has these areas of increased excitability, it starts knotting together pathways so that the next time feels more natural. Donald Hebb, who's a neurophysiologist, says, cells that fire together, wire together. Now this all sounds great when thinking about learning a new skill, doesn't it? But the more eye-opening consequences of our brain's design is when it comes to our thought life. When thoughts go from our unconscious to our conscious, so that feeling of a thought popping into your head, what you do with that thought how you respond to it, whether you dwell on it, whether you act on it, or whether you even replace it with another thought, changes your biology. The best way to think of this is actually using an analogy. Think of a field that hasn't been plowed, no pathways on it, and then a tractor comes and comes through the field for the first time. There is a lot of friction, it is a bumpy road. But then as the tractor goes over that path again and again, there's less friction and it becomes more comfortable every time you drive over that. It becomes the natural route. Our thinking is like this. As brains fire, uh, brain cells fire together by acting on a thought, over time it becomes easier and natural to continue to think and act in that way. So much so that the other choices, even though they're always available to us, become very, very difficult to choose. So in God's word, in, in so many kind of themes and narratives throughout the Bible, we see this played out. And it's a bit like this. 
Sow a thought, reap an action. Sow an action, reap another action. Sow some actions and reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a character. Sow a character and reap a destiny. Either in slavery to the flesh or in freedom to the spirit. Said more succinctly, believe, behave, become. Now, if that's going on, then surely a lot of significance needs to be put on whether a thought is good or bad. What makes a thought good or bad? And how does it even get there in the first place? Well, let's just dive into a little bit of philosophy. There is something quite remarkable about humankind. As if the brain isn't amazing enough, one of the greatest things that distinguishes us from any other creature on the planet is our capacity for imagination. We are the only ones that have the capacity to imagine what isn't, but what could be. The positive side of that is that we can create human societies. We can, we can make a village. We can create a whole civilization. We can write a song. We can make a vacuum cleaner. The list goes on. The negative side of that is that we have the capacity to believe in a lie or an illusion. A good definition of a lie is unreality or whatever doesn't correspond to reality. The truth, on the other hand, is reality or that which corresponds to reality. It's what we rely on as real. And reality is what we run into when we're wrong. So when I was 10 years old, I vividly remember running into a see-through sliding door and bouncing off of it. My assumption that the sliding door was open proved to be an illusion, and I got a really good taste of reality. <laughs> reality doesn't seem to adjust itself to our illusions. And this example of me running into a sliding door was a shot I really faced up, literally, to the truth. Um, but that's just a neutral example, isn't it? Because you're human like me, you know that sometimes you believe things which don't correspond with reality. And not only that, we choose things that are actually harmful, evil sometimes, and that if followed through will lead not to our flourishing or our thriving, but actually to our own destruction. Why do we do that? As Christians, you see, we are aware of a deeper truth that's going on that the struggles that we face are not just flesh and blood, but that we are at war in our minds and our hearts against principalities and powers in the spiritual realm. You see, in Genesis 3, the serpent, the personification of evil, the devil, came to Eve while she was still enjoying Eden. Eve caught off guard with a cunning and subtle question. Did God really say don't eat the fruit of that tree. Then he comes with a bit more of an obvious lie. You will not certainly die. God knows that when you eat of that fruit, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God. He comes with an idea, not a weapon. And he distorts our view of God. He's holding out on you. He's not who you really think he is. If you seize autonomy from God and do your own thing with me, you'll be better off. You see, the lie behind every lie is this. Seize autonomy from God and then redefine good and evil 
based on the voice in your head and the, and the inclination of your heart rather than trusting in the loving word of God. And the devil does this by going for the three jugular questions that every human being really asks. Number one, who is God? What is he really like? Can I really trust him? Number two, who are we? What does it really mean to be human? And thirdly, how do we live? What is the best way to be a human? The devil lies about who God is, who we are, and what the good life really is. And he lies effectively. He sows elements of truth. Maybe you're worried that your husband is going to cheat on you because his father cheated on your mother, his mother. Maybe you're anxious that you haven't saved enough money and something terrible is going to happen because when you were younger, your father didn't save and your family lost everything. The lies also aren't random. They play to our disordered desires. The woman, you see, Eve, saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom. Food, beauty, social status. Who doesn't want that? All of those desires are like base-level desires, instinctual drives, either for self-gratification or self-preservation. John Mark Homer, in his excellent book, Live No Lies, which I thoroughly recommend that you read, he says this, the devil's deceptive ideas get as far as they do because they appeal to our flesh's primal instinctual cravings. And these, in turn, find a home in our bodies through the echo chamber of the world, which allows us to assuage any guilt or shame and live as we please. You see, in our world, evil is labeled as good and good is labeled as evil. And John Mark Homer, in his book, he summarizes the devil's strategy. Deceitful ideas that play to disordered desires that are normalized in our sinful society. The devil, the flesh, and the world. An ancient thought that we've known about for 2,000 years, which secularism has just thrown out as superstition, is still the best way to look at how human, humankind really works. The devil isolates us, implants in our mind deceitful ideas that play to our disordered desires which feel comfortable because they are normalized as the status quo in our society. When Jesus comes on the scene, he backs it up. He backs up Genesis 3. He calls the devil the father of lies. He says the devil, pray, devil primarily mean, devil's main way of working is primarily through lies. He constantly warns his disciples not to be deceived. And we already heard this this morning, Jesus' victory on the cross, he sealed the devil's fate. Jesus will return to finish the job and we who believe in him will reign with him forever in the new heavens and the new earth. But in this ongoing war, harm, spiritual, mental, emotional, and even physical, is a real possibility. Followers of Jesus are not immune. We still bleed red, we still suffer, and we die along with the rest of humanity. We're vulnerable to temptation and deceit. And though we know how the story ends, we are warned to stay alert and of sober mind, for the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. 
And this can be particularly difficult when things happen that we don't expect. When pain and suffering hits us. I want us to watch a video of an incredible couple in our church and in our community, Reuben and Liz. Long and short of it is um, chronic back pain, really. It can be quite sort of frustrating, you know, just, yeah, being in pain most of the time. Because when it hasn't been the chronic pain, it's, it's been There's always something, chronic fatigue. tinnitus, fatigue, yeah, headache, like it's, yeah. My, back's, my back's the most debilitating thing currently, but there's yeah. always, you know, there's always a loads of other stuff going on as well with my body. I guess at first it is like, oh, this is bad, but, you know, it, it'll get better in a few weeks, you know. It, it's not, don't worry too much, or a few months, and then it's sort of dragged on, and then it's like, oh dear, you know, is, is this going to get better? And then, yeah, the longer it goes on, the more you think, there's, the, the higher chances are you're, it's here to stay, you know. Yeah, you can start to get quite hopeless and sort of down about the things you can't do. You sort of start to, you start to mourn, you almost mourn a, a loss, like, of part of you that's kind of died, you know, like the part of me used to surf and just be really a active and adventurous, really. It has meant that a lot of the things, that the kind of tasks at home and with the boys that we'd share, um, I'm, I'm have, I've had to do kind of more with those bits. But yeah, I have experienced some level of um, kind of carer's burnout from looking after everyone else, um, but not always looking after myself through that. So in my work as a clinical psychologist, one of the things I talk a lot about with patients is our thoughts um, and how we have thousands and thousands of automatic thoughts which pop into our head every day and we have no control over what thoughts pop up. Um, we can't choose those thoughts um, and we can't do very much about them. But the bit we can do is choose how to respond to the thoughts. Um, so, for example, if I, I am a bit of a worrier and if I have a worry thought pop into my head, it's quite easy to jump on that train of thought and get really caught up in worry and the worry becomes bigger and bigger. Um, or I can choose to kind of notice that worry and choose to focus my mind, my attention on, on God and God's truth. So, yeah, it, it has been important for me to kind of challenge those thoughts. My thinking, I can be quite sort of black and white, all or nothing. Um, so, you know, I can be like, oh, I'm in pain all the time, but actually I am in a pain a lot of the time, but sometimes I can have quite low pain levels, you know, maybe a one or two for a few hours. And, and it's maybe writing a diary to challenge that thought as well. So to be like, actually, yeah, you are, you know, you do get some better times as well and, and to, to identify that. When we were going through the hardest time um, with the pain and the impact on the family in lockdown, um, I started reading through the Psalms. I, I started writing down the oh, verse yeah. in marker pen on my wrist every day. And at whatever point in the day um, that I started struggling and just the day started feeling quite like it was a lot to cope with, I had the Word of God right on my wrist to, to look at. And that really helped me um, in a practical way to bring my attention and kind of fix my eyes on, on God's promises. But it is a kind of a continual process of having to make the choice to focus on that each day. It's taken me a long time to, to get there and I'm still not there, but it's, it's to kind of get to a place of acceptance. It's been comforting to know that, that God, you know, he, he was 
he came as Jesus in a human form and he, he suffered you know, immensely on the lead up to his crucifixion and his crucifixion. And, and he wept, he felt sorrow. And it's, it's just comforting to know that he, he, you know, he, he understands, he understands it, he's been through it, you know, so. Yeah, I just want to thank you, Liz and Reuben, for your courage and just sharing that incredible story and your authenticity in it. Just such an example um, of strength in the face of pain. And actually, I just want to take a moment just to pray. Reuben, God, I pray for Reuben. Particularly, I pray, God, for your healing power in his life right now. I pray that you would take pain away. Thank you, God, that you are our healer. We believe that you heal today. And Lord, if your timing is different to ours, I pray for your strengthening to them both in the process. And that they will continue to be a shining light for you. In Jesus' name. So we talked about the devil's strategy. And in the backdrop of that strategy, Jesus comes, as Reuben said, in bodily flesh to dwell with us and to teach us the truth. John 8, 31 says, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Free to do whatever I want? No. Free to be able to choose what is good, what is reality. Free to choose God. Free to choose the ways of the Spirit because that is true freedom. He came to restore the true mental map of reality, that God is good and that he can be trusted. Two, that we truly are his children, dearly and perfectly loved, and have been redeemed of our sins, proved in the cross, and that the way to truly live for human flourishing is to follow the way of Jesus. But here's the crunch. Truth isn't enough. God knows that we need relationship. We need relationship with each other, but we really, really need relationship with him. We need his indwelling presence, his spirit. We need spirit and truth. You see, truth without spirit is cold. We've got loads of truth, but no one ever was transformed by an encyclopedia. We also, it's meaningless also to have spirit without truth. A friend who's with you during a crisis but says nothing at all is not gonna transform our lives. We'd appreciate the company, but actually unless someone is offering you a way to adjust your mental maps of reality in a healthy and healing way, you're still gonna be stuck. Jesus comes as a human and a teacher, a relational presence, who, as Reuben said, has been tempted and suffered in every way, just as we are. He knows what we feel. He knows about exhaustion and vulnerability and suffering and doubt. He knows the pull of greed and lust and apathy. But as a teacher, he's also able to offer us truth and give us meaning in our suffering. We can't live without relationships and meaning. Jesus comes as both. 
A very clear example of the spirit and truth is parenting. Good parenting is very, very hard, but it is the combination of spirit and truth. Spirit, the, pr- the parent is present in relational love with the child. They feel loved. Truth, the parent speaks reality over the child about who God is, who they are as a child, and how they are to live in this world, the three big questions. As all parents know, things don't always go according to plan, and in some seasons, it can all just feel pear-shaped, but as a general rule, if kids are brought up in a loving relational matrix of trust and taught to live in congruence with reality, they will thrive. Bad parenting, absence instead of presence, either physically or emotionally, And rather than truth, it's lies. Lies about God. God is ashamed of you. Lies about the child. You're never gonna mount to anything. You're just like your old man. And lies about how to live. Look out for number one. A white lie is not gonna hurt anyone. You see, it's isolation and lies which lead us to being deformed, really, as humans. But the good news is it's by spirit and truth that we are transformed into the image of Jesus. And just as the devil tries to manipulate us by appealing to our personal experiences, so the Holy Spirit comes as the indwelling presence and speaks Jesus' truth specific to our circumstances, to our personal experiences, our personalities even, because he knows us better than anyone else because he created us. He even speaks into our passions and our gifts. God speaks to me really strongly about his faithfulness and the fact that he carries the weight of the responsibilities I have. It just leans into my personality. I just feel a connection with that. He also speaks very clearly through lyric and song because he's just given me that passion and that gift. But really, it can only happen as we give ourselves to him, our minds to him in focused attention, in knowing who he really is through his word, and in knowing truths revealed afresh as we ask him to reveal them to us and as we quietly wait. And when the lies come, When the enemy, who's very likely got some tractor trails in your mind, that has some smooth landing strips with planes as lies flying in and out, you might even have a stronghold and a military base in there, what do we do? Maybe a negative thought comes. I'm an imposter. If someone just knew who I really was, they wouldn't give me responsibility. They wouldn't hang out with me. Maybe that's something that you've believed. Because you've heard it before, because you've dwelt on it before, you've fed on it. The landing strip is quite smooth. (laughs) The tractor ruts are pretty worn through on that one. What we don't do is try and just banish the negative thought and just leave this vacuum so that the enemy kind of has got, you know, a way of kind of landing again. I banish the thought that I'm an imposter. I banish the thought that I'm an imposter. Well, the only thing you've done is magnify the thought. No, what we do instead is we change the channel. What truth weapon do I have to counterattack, to talk back, to replace with truth? 
So for that lie, how about Psalm 139? I've paraphrased this. But you have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You are familiar with all of my ways. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? Your eyes even saw my unformed body, and all the days ordained for me were written in your book. I praise you, for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. That's how we use the truth on the front line, to fighting the lie with the truth. But you know, it's actually what you do intentionally in seeking time with the Lord where the deep breakthrough actually really happens. Where you ask him more specifically, God, please reveal to me why that thought has a hold on me. Speak to me about where the root of that thought really comes from. And give me personal revelation of your truth. Because he is spirit and he is truth. It's in our relationship with him, it's in communion with him that the truth finds good soil. And when it does, it's like forging a new pathway, an alternative to the lie. It's slow, it's hard work, it's gonna take time. But you know what? Slow is fine. They say it takes 20 days to unpick a lie, another 20 days to forge a new path, and 10 years of practicing, riding up and down, up and down on that new path. And even then, Stay alert. I want to call the band back. I just want to give us a bit of time just to respond to some of this truth. And For some of you, this just sounds too hard. <laughs> it's just too overwhelming. I've just got so much negative thought in my head, I wouldn't even know where to begin. Can I encourage you just to close your eyes right now? Wherever you are, just close your eyes. I just want to give you a moment for the Holy Spirit to speak into your life. The Holy Spirit is not overwhelmed about the road ahead for you. In fact, he is so ready to strengthen you and he's ready to reveal to you where he wants you to get started. Ask him. Right now, Holy Spirit, what is the lie that you want me to start to replace in this season of my life. And I wanna encourage you tomorrow morning <laughs> to open up the Word of God, get a journal out, and ask him again, what is the lie and then with the word of God open and you just with the Holy Spirit ask him to reveal the counterattack. <laughs> what is the truth, God, that you speak over my life, my identity? What is the way of Jesus here? And write that thought down and dwell on it. Meditate on it. Spend a month on it. <laughs> you don't have to move on from that one. For some of you struggling with really the gratification of the flesh, a disordered desire, it might be pornography, 
It might be disordered eating in some way. There is still a lie behind that disordered desire. And it's likely to be normalized in our world. Again, I just ask him to reveal, God, what is the root? What am I believing that's ending up in that behavior? I don't wanna become that. There is strength for us today.